I basically said, gee, I've, I've got to go fix all this old documentation. And it occurred to me that, you know, if I just bring back those old modifiers, I don't have to fix the documentation. And that turned out to be the easier solution. So I did it. Welcome to another episode of ArrayCast. My name is Connor. Happy 2022 New Year, the first episode of the new year. And uh, today we have on our first, I think, returning guest ever. And uh, before we get to introducing him once again and talking about a lot of exciting news happening in the J world, uh, we're going to go around and do quick introductions. Uh, We'll first uh, go to Bob, then to Stephen, then to Adam. And we've got, I think, one quick piece of uh, news to announce, and then we'll hop straight into the interview with our returning guest. I'm Bob Terrio. I'm a J enthusiast, and currently I'm working with a group on improving the J wiki, which may come up during the discussion today. Um, but uh, that's keeping me busy, very busy. I'm Stephen Taylor. I'm an APL programmer from way back, and these days the KX librarian. Adam Brzezewski, also APL programmer, but current, and do a lot of things both programming, maintaining things, and work on the APL wiki. And as mentioned before, my name's Connor. Uh, I don't program in APL professionally at the moment. I'm a C++ developer, uh, but I love APL, J, K, Q, BQN, all the array languages, the paradigm. Um, And recently, yes, since our last episode, just thrilled that uh, the dyadic hook and hook are spellable in other languages other than J. Um, I still... I still, yes, I'm just just thrilled that uh, a top um, is spellable. I keep going back to the wiki. Anyways, we'll put it in the show notes. Go back, listen to the last episode if you want. Uh, it, was, it was a great moment in that episode when <laughs> I thought it was just a J thing, and then APL and BQN had it as well, uh, just spelled slightly differently. Um, but with that ramble out of the way, uh, we'll throw it, I guess, to Bob, who's got a quick uh, YouTube sort of video announcement, and then we'll hop into our interview. Uh, yeah, Aaron Sue put uh, together a promo for a conference he's going to, and I oh, I, I should know this off the top of my head. I don't. I think it's sometime in January. Um, but it's about two minutes, and it has a very succinct um, view of, in this case, APL, but also the, I mean, they all apply to the array, the array languages, just the way they're used and the way people look at them and what they're really powerful at. And I've found it a very uh, uh a very succinct and you know comprehensive video, um, and we'll put it in the show notes. And that's another plug for the show notes. So if if you hear something mentioned, look at the show notes because there's so much information we put in there. And obviously, all these array languages are very dense. And if it's going over your head, it's always a good idea to jump back into the show notes and take a look because we'll give sort of more background, and it might make a bit more sense that way. Uh, so those are my tips. And and watch the Aaron Sue video. Awesome, thanks. And yeah, we'll definitely, the links will be in the show notes as always. And at, at some point, we've said this now a few times, but we'll, we'll have to get Aaron on, on the podcast because uh, he's got, yeah, a ton of interesting things and has obviously done a ton of interesting work with his code defunds compiler and, and whatnot. Um, but with all that said, let's uh, once again introduce uh, our, as mentioned before, first time returning guest, Henry Rich, who, if I have the number correct, was on episode six. We'll have a link to that previous episode. It's an awesome listen. He was, I believe, our first guest on the episode, so I guess sort of uh, great to have him as also the first returning guest. Um, that episode was called Henry Rich's Deep Dive into Jay. Um, very briefly, and I'll let him sort of introduce himself after this, uh, 
is sort of the primary maintainer contributor to uh, the J uh, language. And so that's open source on GitHub. You can go take a look at all of his contributions and the code and, um, you know, has a long history. We sort of went through that whole uh, history and experience in the first episode, but at one point was a teacher and sort of taught Jay and has a lot of interesting anecdotes about what it's like to teach, you know, students that haven't gone through the regular curriculum of, you know, Python or Java or insert whatever language is of the decade that's sort of used as the teaching language um, and, and teaching sort of beginners that don't have their minds warped. By, or I shouldn't say warped. That's unkind. Uh, <laughs> that don't have their minds affected by sort of, you know, the regular imperative thinking, um, but has worked sort of in different careers and has used Jay and uh, worked up to sort of contributing to J. And today, I believe we're going to be uh, covering the newest release of J, which is J903. I'm going to feel really bad if I got that wrong, um, <laughs> but I think 903 it is. But with that, I'll let uh, Henry sort of add some more color uh, to introduce himself, and then we'll hop into, I guess, the high level and the low level details of everything that's new in this latest release of J. Well, thank you for that introduction. Uh, yes, I'm the uh, developer of the J interpreter. Uh, but uh, Bill Lamb and Chris Burke and Eric Kyverson also contribute to the release uh, mightily, but I, I'm the one who works on the interpreter. Uh, we just released 9.03 after a one-year beta period, uh, and it, it's got quite a few new features, which I'll go through. The, the one that has produced the uh, greatest amount of traffic on the forum uh, is something very old. Uh, you, know, you were uh, rhapsodizing about hooks and forks and uh, how beautiful they are. Um, and that's right, they are. It's a brilliant idea. You can take uh, three verbs and with no punctuation at all, create a new verb. It's magic. <laughs> um, I, I, in, in my book, I, I had to come up with a name for this sort of thing. And I call them invisible modifiers. So, uh, you know, they're, they're like conjunctions and adverbs, but you can't see them. They're just done with space. They're done with the ordering of primitives. You can use parentheses, but you don't really have to. If you, uh, if you take three verbs and assign them to a name, now you have implied parentheses and you can have an entire language that has no punctuation whatsoever. It's just primitives and the, the semantics comes from the the part of speech um, well it turns out ken iverson knew all this uh, and he developed uh, a, a very sophisticated language uh, so it must have been 30 years ago because it was in the very early j versions um, he, he developed a, a, a language that it expands hooks and forks beyond verbs. So um, with a fork, we can take uh, verb, 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 and the fork means is, um, uh, if, well, if you know what a fork is, it means apply the first verb, then apply the second verb, then apply the one in the middle between the results of the, the other two verbs. And obviously you get a verb because it's operating on uh, noun arguments. But you could imagine uh, that maybe a fork where one of the components was not a verb. It could be a modifier. You know, like it could be slash, for example, to the reduce uh, operator. 
Uh, and what would that produce? So, well, it, it wouldn't. It couldn't be a verb because the reduce operator is not itself a verb. This would be a compound that operates on other verbs to produce new verbs. That's what we call in J a modifier. Uh, and uh, the language that Ken came up with defines not just a hook and fork, but about two dozen other sequences that allow you to combine verbs to create new verbs. Uh, and uh, that language, uh, to me, is one of the most beautiful things that um, has been done in programming. <clears throat> but it turned out that hardly anybody used it. Maybe that's an indication that the J community has become more sophisticated over the years because uh, Roger Huey, the uh, originator of the interpreter, decided maybe 15 years ago that it just wasn't worth supporting all that interesting stuff, and he got rid of it. You, it's not necessary. You can do. We, there's already a, a a way to have an explicit. Uh, operator that takes verbs and produces new verbs. This is merely a way of doing it tacitly, like with hooks and forks. In other words, all it really brings is it's very beautiful. Um, in effect, when you when you create a modifier like that, what what you're doing is creating a programming template, right? I I, I have a series of operations I want to do. I feed it a verb. I get out a new verb. And, uh, that's the idea of a template. Um, anyway, uh, a lot of people seem to be interested in this. I'm, I'm glad to see that. I, I loved it, and I was very sad when uh, those features were removed from the language. Um, but they're back now. Um, and a side benefit of that is a lot of the old document, the documentation is more than 15 years old that referred to these things, uh, has now, it, it finds its support in the language so you can follow the books the ancient texts, I guess you should say, uh, more easily. Your explanation is fantastic. Uh, I I understood. I probably, someone's understanding will be assisted if they already understand what a fork is. Um, uh, whereas we've, we've talked about forks many times on the episodes before and given sort of simple examples. Um, so I, I guess my question is, is I have never used, and I think that's, that's very interesting um, that you call them invisible modifiers too. It's a great sort of nickname for them because um, that is exactly what they're doing, at least the, the two trains and the three trains. Um, the three trains being another name for the fork. So now we have, I guess, fork, three train, although three train can refer to multiple things, invisible modifiers, and then the corresponding combinator name. So we've got four different ways to refer to these things. Um, so I guess, is there a simple example, like similar to the way that, you know, uh, is palindrome can be used to describe a hook and like average can be used to describe a fork. Is there a simple example of one of the, you know, you said, I think there was a dozen or two dozen patterns um, that is explainable, like an average example that's easy to grok? Well, yes, but I don't see how you're going to understand this over a podcast. <laughs> I, I, okay. I, but I can, an, an example, uh, it, it happens quite often, particularly with boxed entities, that uh, the normal array rules 
uh, don't work when the when an argument is empty. Um, so, so sometimes you need just an exception for empty arguments. Uh, uh, so th there you have a case where you, the template is, I, I want to execute the verb except when the argument's empty. And in that case, I want to take a default value. Um, that's an example of a, simp a very simple invisible modifier. You would uh, you, you use, in internally, it would use the power conjunction to decide whether to execute the verb or not uh, and produce the result. But the point is that the, I, the name I give my, I give it as but if null. So I would write, do something, but if null, six. And that would look, if that, that uh, triplet uh, it is, is a modifier and it would be applied to an, to a noun argument. And if the noun argument is empty, the result six. If the noun argument is not empty, the result is the result of do something applied to the argument. So you can see that uh, uh, this the but if null is not a verb. It needs a, a verb argument and a noun argument so that it can create the thing that is to be applied to the ultimate input. That, that's an example of a programming template that uh, is, is easy to represent as a modifier. In this case, it, you can you can do it invisibly now. Previously, you would have to have written an explicit conjunction. I think I can give an, a simple example, similar to like how we did with with the uh, average. Let's say, for simplicity, we use a top. The top is a very very simple combinator or, or conjunction. It just applies one function uh, after another function. So we can now define something that would be, for example, average atop atop. The result of average atop atop would be a conjunction itself. So it takes two functions. So for example, it could do a, take a reverse and a concatenation, just as an example. And, and so this new entity, it's a conjunction, average atop a top. It takes two functions, reverse and concatenate, applies one after another because there's an outer atop, and then applies the average on the result of that as yet another atop. Yeah. So you have an, so eventually you, instead of having a, an atop conjunction, you have an average of a top conjunction. Interesting. I guess reverse is sort of a, uh, um, less of a useful in that it doesn't actually, it just mutates the value. So average. Yeah, none of it made any sense. No, of course not. Yeah, would... <laughs> I'm trying to think if there's like a, an equivalent name for this in functional programming, because if you kind of think of two trains and three trains is when you pass them verbs, AKA functions, they return you new functions. So like a, uh, the definition of a higher order function is a function that either takes a function as a parameter or returns a function. So these are higher order functions in that they're returning uh, functions. Um, but this is sort of the extension of these two trains and three trains such that they can take, um, you know, operators as they're called in whatever certain versions of APL or conjunctions such as, you know, reduce or scan. These are returning these are also returning functions, but functions that will also take functions as arguments. But 
Um, so like if you're re- like, I'm thinking in my head that there's probably a way. So in APL and J and BQN, the scans that come with those languages as defined by either the digraph or the single symbol is what's known as an inclusive scan. Um, so, so in C++ or sort of high performance computing, there's inclusive and exclusive scans where inclusives, you know, if you have one, 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 and you do a plus inclusive scan, it's one, two, three, four. But an exclusive scan, also known as a pre-scan in certain languages, you give it initial value. So like if I have the sequence one, 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 and I give it an initial value 10, instead of ending up with four elements, you end up with five elements, and the resulting scan is 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. So you basically have like an initial value. So my guess is that there's a way of defining a pre-scan or an exclusive scan that doesn't come with J or APL. They all The scan that they come with is the inclusive scan. Um, there's probably a way of defining a, an exclusive scan. Maybe, maybe not. But the, the idea is that... No, no, the, the, you're right. You're right. Yeah, yes. this, so, so what you've got here is scan is, an, is in, in, in J terms an adverb, right? or one modifier, or a monadic operator in APL terms. And you want to apply that after you have concatenated one more element to the front of the array that you started with. So what you want is scan at top concatenate. Right. Right. And that is exactly that adverb, conjunction, uh, verb. But you never specified what the operand was to the scan. So after you have this, which you would call uh, exclusive scan or something like that, then you can just say five exclusive scan your array and it will concatenate the five to the array and then it will run the scan on it well you need you, oh sorry you would have you need a, a function of course so you would do a yes. five plus scan uh, exclusive scan your array right and so you have a new a new adverb or one modifier or monadic operator that was only different defined in terms of the old one without ever giving it an operand and a top a concatenation that's really yes. that's really cool yeah, I can see the. That's just one example off the top of my head. But yeah, so these are these are ways of like they're they're also higher order functions, but the slight difference is that these higher order functions. It sounds like either all of the time or at least some of the time, um, the high the functions that they return will also take functions. Every time I say function, replace it with the word verb. Uh, if you want to do J speak or whatever dictionary APL speak, um, these these verbs will also take verbs as arguments. Um, which I, that's the thing is I don't think there's actually like, there's not a higher, higher order function. It's just a, there's one word for higher order function that applies to all of these, although there's kind of a slight difference, but. um, You're you're in a state of sin when you say that verbs take verbs and J, modifiers can take verbs. Verbs only apply to nouns, Uh, but you you get the idea. Okay. the, The higher order function you're talking about, we would call a modifier. Um, I, I have to say, I found this beautiful and useful a little bit, not very much. Uh, I was sad when it was taken away 15 years ago just because it was a, such a magnificent intellectual creation. But I, 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 don't, exp- I, I don't think it's, it's going to change people's lives to, <laughs> to, to have, the, have these modifiers. But it, it, it might well change the way you think, and that's important. I mean, this sounds cool to me. And also, if I recall, when you first mentioned this the first time you were on, which was back in the middle of, I think, the summer of 2021, um, 
I think you, at that point, I had never even known about the existence of this sort of like, you know, lost at the city of Atlantis, you know, lost <laughs> version of Jay. And then you were talking about, you know, how it was this just so magnificently beautiful, but we had to get rid of it because no one used it. And I was like, wait, what? There was an even more tacit version or like, you know, tacit programming version of Jay that like, I was like, does it exist somewhere? And now look at this, like half a year later. Yeah, now it does. Now you can see it again. It's great. <laughs> I think I can give an another example that's easy to understand. Uh, so in APL, we have first axis and last axis reductions have sub separate symbols. Jay doesn't have that. Uh, let's say you wanted to define a last axis and reduce. So that's reduce rank one. Yeah. Hmm. Now you're allowed to. Now you can say last axis reduce is reduce rank one. You couldn't do that before because you would apply rank to an adverb that's not allowed. It have to have, you had to give it an, an operand to work on. You could do plus reduce rank one, but you couldn't just do reduce rank one. And now you can do that and you can do, and it will just work. Yeah, I think you're not quite right there because uh, slash quote one, the quote one is the rank. You're right that that would be illegal, but uh, you could also create an adverb quote one and because it's an adverb, the one little tiny bit of the tacit language that survived was that adverb, adverb was allowed. So you know, even without this, we could have done what you said, but it would take parentheses. Now you would just write slash quote one, and that would be exactly what you say. Anyway, move, moving on through the release, things that are more practical than uh, aesthetic value. Um, you know, we, we tend to focus on uh, the arrayness of these array languages because well, that's what makes them important tools of thought. Um, but uh, it turns out an awful lot of the code that you execute is simple sentences that add one to an index or uh, do uh, operate on small things. Um, and in particular, when you have uh, programmers who are unfamiliar with the array languages and are just learning to become J programmers, they write code that resembles scalar code to begin with. They'll get better as time goes on, but we have to keep them on board long enough for them to make the transition. Um, I say that they're in a stage where they're writing JTRAN, uh, which is, uh, yeah, Jay, Jay that was written by somebody whose first language is Fortran, and we've all seen that. <laughs> you know, somebody somebody writes a loop, and you say, oh, you, know, you don't need a loop. Well, but they don't know that. They don't know any better. So uh, it, it turns out that if, for maintaining the interpreter, uh, it's important to make big arrays work fast, but it's also important to make uh, make simple sentences that operate on scalars work fast also. Uh, and uh, I, I put a lot of work into that in the 9.03 release. I, um, they, I completely rewrote the parser for about the eighth time. Uh, and uh, it, it's faster even than before. There's a special path through the arithmetic, uh, the arithmetic operations that, uh, that deals with singletons. 
either atoms or uh, arrays with only one value. Uh, I rewrote that again to eliminate a couple of mispredicted branches. It now does only one mispredicted branch through the operation. I reduced the maximum rank. J originally, the rank could be up to two to the 32nd, and it was convenient to allow to cut that back to 65,000. And now I find it's convenient to cut it down to 63, uh, which is where it is now. That's still more, I think, than anybody uh, has, is likely to want. Uh, although it's not quite as obvious as it looks, because with sparse arrays, you could imagine having an array of huge rank, um, but 63 it is for now. This allows the setup for the uh, arithmetic operations. To, uh, basically, I do operations on uh, bytes, and it uh, speeds up that setup. Uh, and then there are two other features that are new in 9.03 that are not really so much for JTRAM, but they are for performance. Um, the, and that has to do with uh, parsing and execution of explicit definitions. Um, wh when you parse a sentence that contains modifiers, like, just say you just say plus slash y. Let's add up the elements in y. The parser has to, the, the parser looks at that and it, it processes the right to the left and says y. Okay, there's a noun. We'll take that. Then the slash, that's an adverb. Let's, we can't do anything with that. Can't do with anything, can't do anything with that yet, but plus, and now the parser says, ah, plus slash. I know what that means. That's an, that's an execution of an adverb. I'll go do that. Uh, so it does that and it comes back with the, the verb that adds up the items and why. Then it executes that verb. So if this sentence is in a loop, that your JTRAN programmer has decided he wants to execute a million times, the combination plus slash is going to be created a million times. It'll first be created and then immediately executed. Um, there's not much way to avoid that in J because why, you know, we think why is a noun, but there's nothing to make the user to prevent the user from defining why to be a verb, and then all of a sudden, plus slash followed by a verb is something totally different. Um, so you'd like to pre-compile the sentence, but you you really can't. However, you can partially pre-compile it. If there are pieces of the sentence that are enclosed in parentheses, and those pieces don't contain any names, then you can safely process the bit between the parentheses. So in this case, um, if I had this in a, in a loop that's gonna execute a million times, I would put parentheses around the plus slash. So it'd be parentheses, plus slash, parentheses, y. Obviously it's gonna be, the result's gonna be the same, but the difference is that the initial examination of the sentence which is done before the verb is executed ever. It's done one time when the verb is created. The bit between the parentheses will be executed to produce the atom up verb. So that, that will be done only once. 
instead of at every execution of the sentence. Um, and I have actually got some code where that makes a noticeable difference. A similar uh, improvement uh, is used for applications that have long search paths. I don't know if you, the, uh, I don't know APL. I don't know what, does APL have anything similar to the locale system of J? And the namespaces. Namespaces, right. So in J, uh, the, there's a private namespace to the, for the executing verb. And then it has a search path of namespaces in which uh, names are looked up. Uh, so let's say you've, you uh, have a verb, a modifier called each, which says operate on the boxes. A typical thing that we would do in J is say A plus each B. It says take the contents of boxes in A and B, add them together and box them up again. Well, once again, when you, when you go to look for the name each, it's defined all the way up in the base locale. If you have a, a long search path, and that might be because you've got a database system and you've decided you're going to have lots of, of mainly, mostly empty search paths in, in which you can define names as they're needed or for any other reason. But if you have a long search path, every time that sentence gets executed, the, the name is looked for inside the explicit definition, not found. Go to the first element of the search path, look that up, it's not found. It fails all the way up to the Z locale, the global locale, and there it finds a name. Well, that is, that can easily be a half a dozen failed searches on the way to finding a name. And again, if you execute that sentence a million times, you're gonna see that. So uh, if the, the added feature is at the time you create a definition, you can say this definition, once it runs, I know I haven't done anything tricky. I haven't redefined why to be a verb. I'm not changing names. Once you find a name, remember where you found it and look for it in the same place next time. Uh, and I call that name reference caching. Uh, it, it cuts off almost all the searches and is, is something to, if you've got a serious application that, that uses search paths, you ought to look into. So I guess it, it makes modular programming where you, you've separated your namespaces or your locales into different areas much more efficient because you're not penalized by having to go through all those searches each time. Exactly. It does it once and then bang, it's always going to just pick that one up for you. Yeah. And you, you have to be careful that you, that you, well, you know, it's a cache and it's, a, it's like, if, if, if you look something up and then change the name or you know, add a name to a locale after you did the first lookup and you know, you're going to, you'd have a problem, but that's pretty rare. in the applications I've seen, there are facilities to control, the feature so that you can usually get what you want. Anyway, so th that's a set of performance improvements that are particularly useful for programs that, that execute lots of short sentences, which again, I, you know, we, we, we like to think in terms of arrays, but we have to realize that there are people who 
haven't got there yet. We're trying to make the language work for them. So if we think about it like accessibility, where a lot of times when you're trying to make a website or something accessible, you think you're doing it for people who might have some challenges, but actually it turns out that you're doing it for everybody. Because if you make it easier for people who have challenges, everybody benefits from it. Would that be true of, of JTRAN as well? Well, yeah, I certainly think the pre-parse parenthesized primitives or 4P, uh, that's going to help everybody. You just put parentheses. If, if, in fact, it'll, it'll help you in a lot of cases. Like if you wrote, if you had a, a verb AVG to, to do the average, you know, plus slash uh, divide sharp, uh, if, you if you merely wrote that in your sentence and put it in parentheses, it would perform better than if you wrote the name AVG because it wouldn't have to look up anything. It would, it would define the verb as, as an anonymous verb and apply it when it needs to. So yeah, there'll, there'll be uh, beneficial side effects for people who didn't even uh, know they needed it. Well, and I guess it, it actually um, emphasizes as well, again, although you're not trying to get beginners to do tacit programming, it's an advantage of tacit programming because if you're tacit programming, you can use those parentheses to then reduce the time it takes for all those lookups. Yeah, although it, if it, if your code is tacit, it, it no the improvements apply for sentences executed out of explicit definitions, mm. right? Because right. if if you def, define a bunch of tacit verbs, they will have already gone through the name lookup process. Uh, although, I mean, it is true that the the name reference caching will help, but the, the parentheticization would have been done already. Uh, but that's not true for explicit sentences. Uh, move, moving on through the things in the release, um, there are a couple of interesting features for high precision arithmetic. We're we're finding some customers who are limited by the precision of double precision floating point, where you know uh, the order of depending on the order that you add stuff, you get different answers. And floating point addition is not associative, in other words. So um, we've we've added a couple of uh, features for them. One is a very old method by Bill Kahan uh, called compensated summation. It basically gives you a more accurate double precision result. And then uh, another, the other that we've added is a, a high precision dot product that executes a dot product that, it, well, it keeps a high, a high order part and a low order part. So effectively a hundred bits of Mantissa uh, for the dot, for the, dot product operations and for for people who need that um, that's useful let's see jqt this is not my my thing this is chris burke's thing and bill lamb's jqt uh has added a bunch of things but the really cool one is it's like a, a mini git uh you you go to the there's a script tab and it remembers everything you've done for the past 24 hours uh, so you can look at it and say, oh, what did I do? You know, what was that last thing I did? And it'll show you the differences between the the last thing you loaded and the thing before that. It, that's really neat. If, you, if you've ever wondered, you, rather than scrolling up through a terminal window, you can just uh, look there. And then I guess the other thing that's pervasive is the, the, the last thing in the release is just trying to use 256-bit instructions and then every place that I can find to use them. They, they really do make things go several times faster. 
but that's what's in the release. Uh, plus enough bug fixes that uh, I think we can get a, the, there's a lab on uh, how to use J that's got uh, J, it, it um, merges the QT, dissect the debugger uh, and that was broken for a while, but it's back now. And um, I'm trying to get Bob to come up with one of his beautiful videos on it because uh, uh, it's, it's a very graphic introduction to how array languages work. Yeah, J by point and click, I think it is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. that's the one. Yeah, no, it's it's good, and I can confirm it's working now. So that yeah, it, that was something that wasn't working before, and is back working. And it yes, it combines a whole bunch of different things. And uh, I'm actually thinking, I think at some point we start talking about the wiki because yeah. I think that's involved with this as well. One of the things we're looking to do with the wiki is to make it more accessible to a newcomer. And one of the ways to do that may be to put together some videos that might work through a lab like J by point and click so that step by step you see some of the power of the language. And, uh, well, we've had lots of meetings and discussions, and uh, there have been some other videos that we've looked at. I think in the K language, it was uh, Jeffrey Boris, um, I think is the, did for K, did a, a, a video series on Q, which is really interesting, really good, and it's got me thinking about the ways to approach maybe doing this. Um, certainly a longer-term process because... Uh, putting videos together that are actually trying to explain things as opposed to videos that are streaming things as you're doing them um, takes a bit more work. But when, you're, when you've got it done, you know, I think it's a more effective way to bring somebody into it. So it's, it, it sort of helps people along. But uh, yeah, that uh, J by point and click. If, I guess the other thing is if, you're not waiting, if you don't want to wait for the video, load up J and then do that lab because you can do it yourself. I mean, it's, it's part of your interactive environment with JQT, and you can, you can basically do everything that I would be doing in a video, um, you know, in the lab itself. So, um, you know, there's no reason to hold off and wait for me to do it. If you're interested and you want to go through that process, um, the labs are a very powerful thing in J. I think in JQT, they're under the Studio tab. Right. Or help and then studio help tab. studio. Yeah. yeah. And so they're, they're hidden a little bit, which I've always kind of wondered about. But um, if you know that's where they are, and then, then do the labs. There's so much information in them, and it's interactive. It takes you step by step. It explains something. And then you have the whole environment to play around with the ideas. And then when you're ready, you go into the next step. Very, very um, effective way of teaching to pass along information. Yeah, I think the people who have decided they're going to try Jay uh, will be well advised to do that. But what we need on the wiki, what, you, what we need is what you're doing. Something so that the tire kicker can come along and look at it and say, oh, that looks cool, uh, without committing to downloading the language and wondering whether they're going to be able to do anything with it. Uh, you're not going to be able to beat a video for that. Yeah, and, and that's actually another area that um, I think it's uh, Will Gajate, if I've got his pronunciation of his name correct, and uh, Joe Bogner, um, and also um, Michael Wallace, and uh, John Ho, the people together have been uh, working on that aspect, and they're looking at taking uh, the source code of J and running it through Emscripten, and then actually making it so that you could run J on a browser. So then it would just become a link 
on the wiki, and then that would take you to that. Your browser basically would open up and then run J for you. So it's along the lines of try APL, but it's actually run by your browser. And they're working their way through it. There's, you know, but they've made some progress. In fact, Joe actually has a working version, a simple working version already. We can put the, the link in the show notes oh. um, that will take you through some real basic stuff. But they're looking for something more ambitious. And Joe's version right now, I think, is running on J704. Um, but they're looking to upgrade it to, to 903. So it actually does all the things that 903 can do. That is ambitious. That, that would be great if they could do that. <laughs> yeah, I think they think that too. <laughs> but the thing is, they, they've, they've managed to keep the optimism and they're working at it. And yeah. Joe came on and said, yeah, I don't have much time to put together this. The last email I saw between him and Will, Joe saying, yeah, I spent four hours, but I, I went down that and then it didn't work, but I figured this out. And it's like, wow. Like, I, mean, <laughs> I think Joe's got the bug. I think he's back into working it. I'm not sure how much time he actually does have to put into it. Um, and but we certainly appreciate the you know what he's already put in and and there are other people there to support him so that's really great to see and we'll we'll see where they take it. Um, they're hoping to having something simple up and working by the end of February, um, and that's that we're all sort of working towards that goal. Um, and just to give us a uh, you know a deadline to try and work towards because we know that makes us more effective in terms of getting things done. But uh, yeah, so it's um, that's that's our process right now. Um, one of the things I was going to ask you, though, Henry, about the parser, um, at this point, there's a there's a, a trace a script that actually you can run through the old version of J, and it will actually break down, um, say, for instance, tacit code and show you how it's 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 actually um, you know being uh, executed, but. That hasn't been updated yet, am I correct? It's like you, when you've updated the parser, you've updated the internal parser, but there are things like with dissect, because I think it also works on the same, which is your debugging feature that does the same thing visually to break down a, a, a tacit verb. Has that parser been updated? Would it be able to work with the invisible modifiers as well? No. Uh, dissect, uh, tra well, Trace might have. I think Raoul was looking into that. Uh, it, it wouldn't be all that hard to, to fix that. I, I think somebody did, but I'm uh, not certain. You know, when I talk about rewriting the parser, I'm not talking about, I didn't mean, I mean, it's true that the parser changed from the invisible modifiers, but uh, it was a rewrite for performance. It wasn't to change the features. So um, the, it didn't, um, the, the major parser overhaul didn't change the interface of the parser. Invisible modifiers did, and now dissect and lint. Uh, they don't know how to parse those sentences, but um, I would really, if anybody hearing this wants to take over the development of dissect and lint, I would love it because I just don't have time to keep doing it. Yeah, and and I think we actually touched on this in the last episode that we had you on. You mentioned made that call as well. If you go look, like if you're if you're you know into J and you're you're you know you're at the point where you're able to go look at the scripts because it's all a script you can look at. Dissect is all a big script. It's a big script, but it's particularly well documented. It's a very very clear script, and if if anybody was looking at maintaining anything, I would say Dissect would be one of the ones that would be 
much easier to maintain than just about anything else I've seen. It's just really impressive. And in fact, it's a good example of a way to take a very large and complicated program and do it in a way that's robust and maintainable. And that's something that I think array languages have been criticized for because that's typically people who use um, array languages are more interested in creating what they want at the moment for what they want as opposed to maintaining something that somebody else has done. And I think Dissect is such an excellent example of something that's maintainable and an array language. If you haven't looked at it before and you're interested in that sort of thing, you should definitely look at it. And it's a very, very useful tool. So I think everybody owes Henry a huge great, great, uh, debt of ad, gratitude, gratitude, <laughs> of gratitude for producing it. But they would also uh, have a great debt of gratitude to anybody who went on to maintain it, and and uh, because it's it's a it's a really useful tool. I have a, a couple questions. Well, we'll ask one and save one for the end. So there, a lot of the uh, changes in 903 have been performance-related, um, rewrites increasing performance for JTRAN code or um, sort of other features. Do you have like a – how do you measure that? So like clearly you know that there must be improvements as that's what the updates say. Do you just have a set of like local benchmarks that you're running locally and sort of testing or is that – is it, there some sort of – Yes. Yeah, I, generally I – um, yeah, I, I will create a test case for, uh, you know, just parsing primitives and verify that the, the new parser can launch primitives twice as fast as the old one. Um, and I say, well, that's probably worth putting in. Um, predicting the performance of a complex system is really hard, as we all know. So much depends on caching, um, but I I don't rewrite something unless I'm pretty sure I can double the speed. Okay, so that's good to know. So and so wait, does that mean that all the performance sort of improvements are roughly around that sort of uh, perf increase? Well, it, no, yeah, so it's a that's that level of increase for the thing that's being modified. But uh, the you know if you take the the, the usual sentence. When you sum up a thousand numbers, most of the time is going to be spent adding up the thousand numbers. Right, right. Um, but again, for JTRAN code, it is much faster. You know, for code that all it does is add one to a name, uh, that's that's a path that uh, you know it, it's it's assignment, it's execution of the verb on a singleton, and there's parsing. Uh, you can make a sentence like that go twice as fast. Um, you know, it, it, when you get to that level, the speed and moving from one statement to the next and the and the loop through the definition becomes important. But uh, even so, if what your sentences do is add one to a name, it's still going to be slower than much slower than a compiled language. I, we we can't make it as fast as a compiled language. We can't make turn JTRAN into Fortran. We can just <laughs> get it as close as we can. Right. And I guess I can ask the second question too, even though maybe it's um, yeah, k- kind of jumping out of out of our uh, line of thought. So you were talking about you know the labs earlier, and then the the JWiki, um, and you as mentioned sort of very briefly in this episode, and I definitely know we touched on it in the last episode. You have a book called J for C Programmers. 
Um, and there's a, a couple other books that are listed on sort of the J Wiki, Learning J and Easy J. Um, and there's also the wiki itself and, and with like Nuvok is a good way to navigate the, the different digraphs. Uh, so I guess my question is, because uh, over the holiday break, I was thinking about trying to tear through one of the books. I never ended up getting around to that. Um, but I hope you bought at least bought the book. I, I have not bought any. Well, I did buy a couple books, but no J books. Um, but uh, so I guess my question is, is um, I'm not sure how much you know about the other books other than your own slash versus the wiki. Uh, but what's your because what I was what I'm hoping for is a resource for someone that's at my sort of like APL sort of array level where I know, I don't know, maybe 75% of APL glyphs, maybe 50% of BQN. And I know enough that maps to J, but they're like, you know, at one point, Bob on an episode, you know, we were solving a problem and he mentioned outfix and I'd never heard of outfix. (laughs) And so really what I want is like the fastest way to consume the superset or like the, the asymmetric difference of what exists in J that doesn't exist in APL because it's very quick to learn that like, you know, the equivalent of tally in APL is uh, the, you know, the, the pound or the octothorpe in, uh, in J. Like that stuff is just a translation. But what, what is sort of more interesting is like the stuff that doesn't exist in other array languages. Is there any sort of fast way uh, or, or good resource for that? And then on that sort of part A and then part B, is there sort of like a, you know, for at this level, Easy J is the best intro, or is your book the best way to go sort of for any level, and you can just sort of speed through the first couple chapters, or is, you know, just going to the NUVOC and um, clicking each symbol and reading, you know, the documentation for each symbol is, what would be your recommendation, um, given that there's sort of several different ways to, to pick up J? Well, uh, Ian Clark and I did most of the work on NUVOC, uh, and he is a master at writing uh, code for the busy programmer, the programmer who's got a, wants to solve a problem. So the uh, the primitives, the, the description of the primitive starts out with, you know, why do I want to use this? Give me a quick example of it, uh, so that. I don't know that you could beat that for just to scroll through the primitives and see what they do. Um, you know, when you're an expert, you eventually learn that Ken's original dictionary uh, is is very terse, but I don't think you want to go there as a beginner. Uh, Nuvok is pitched at the, the the bright beginning programmer who does who needs to learn something about what the J primitives do. Um, I would recommend I would recommend that if Nuvok had been around, I wouldn't have written my book. I, it has everything that I have to say about Jay. Uh, there, are, those things are in the um, there's there's the the main J pages for the primitives, but there's a long set of ancillary pages. Like, how does parsing work exactly? You know, what's a noun? What is a what are the precisions? It, the the extra pages that are on the Nuvark page contain a great deal of information if you want to understand how things work. 
So Nuvok is the way to go, it sounds like. Um, well, that, that would be my place for it. Was that, that's what it was written for. It was written for somebody who's basically we, we pitched it to, we're trying to go for somebody who's wondering whether J is a good language or what they want to do. So it has to have enough information quickly that you can understand what primitives are up to. Okay, yeah. Maybe I'll maybe what I'll do is I'll choose a day in the next couple months and then just do a I'll do a YouTube live stream where I click on every single diagraph and uh, <laughs> and see how quickly. Uh, well, yeah. Would probably take uh, several hours at least, though. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, what it, it, yeah, if it's ten, say there are a hundred of them, hundred hundred or so. You have to read fast. I mean, it, it wouldn't do well on a live stream. I mean, if it would for yourself if it's just for yourself I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're like most programmers you've learned that that's skimming through web pages is the most important skill you could zip through those things in a hurry there's a link on each page to take you to the next primitive you just sit on that and click it and you, you might be able to get through in five seconds a page on, <laughs> for the most of them that, that would be five minutes to get through them all or ten minutes Plus, the the few hours that you take in digesting the stuff that's really interesting, it, that would that would be a, a useful use of your time. Yeah, Adam's also linked in the chat. Uh, Jay for APL, and I think I've seen this before, but this is a, if I'm not mistaken, a pretty brief um, sort of just dictionary. And I've seen a few of these, and what I've noticed of them is that they are sort of they're they're translations of back and forth of like oh you know this about apl this is the equivalent in j whereas specifically the thing that i'm looking for is the the asymmetric difference the the outfix like does this my guess is this article doesn't mention outfix because that's a thing that doesn't exist in in apl um, or at least not as a not as a primitive or uh, a glyph like obviously you can you can build an expression that does the equivalent thing um but i think that um, that is very, at some point, I don't know it'll, it'll, if it'll be a blog post or a longer form kind of thing, but I think it'd be very interesting. It's like as the first section being, uh, these are just the exact translations of, you know, here's dyadic cook and J, here's how you spell it in BQN, here's how you spell it in APL. And so there's, there's a certain number of things that just map. And then there's also the stuff that exists in each language. So, you know, these invisible modifiers now are, one of the things that exist in J that don't exist in any of the other languages um, that I, I should say that I know of. Um, <laughs> um, but I think some resource like that where you can um, like, like BQN is actually like a fantastic example of um, Marshall has uh, written both like J to um, yeah. J to BQN and dialogue APL to BQN and vice versa. So like anytime there's, an asymmetric difference. There's one that includes something that is not included in the other. He, he gives you the spelling of it in that language. So like there's certain things that BQN has dropped that exist in J and APL. And I'm like, ah, oh, I, I don't know how to do that now. And it's like, oh, I just need to go to that little dictionary, find, you know, oh, okay, I'm in uh, BQ, I'm in dialogue APL. It doesn't have that. Find the missing symbol. And, oh, he gives a two or three, you know, uh, character expression in BQN to do it. Um, 
which is extremely useful. So half the time I'm coding in BQN, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just copying and pasting what, <laughs> what Marshall is, has written on his little uh, translations. Um, and I think it's like, it's the, it's the both, it's the bi-directionalness of it that is so nice. It's sort of, it's both English to French and French to English. In case you learn a French word while, you, while you're in France, from whatever the English speaking perspective, and you're like, oh, I don't know what that means. Is you can look that up as well as also figuring out how to, whatever, find where the Saldaban is. Um. <laughs> and a lot, a lot of these things, um, you know, that, that have been written in the past, of course, aren't keeping up with the new developments. So things like direct def definition, uh, fold, um, the invisible modifiers, um, in fact, invisible modifiers is a bit weird because you could actually, you'd have to go back into, I think, about 1990-something in order to actually see documentation on them. Yeah, that's probably when the documentation was written. I think they were decommitted in 2005. Interesting. So, yeah, probably the most up-to-date resource uh, is also the wiki slash Nuvoc, or is, is there, because I... I can't remember the exact copyright dates, but I definitely know like EasyJ, when I looked at it, it was the 40-page sort of intro. I think that was early 2000s or 2002 or something like that. Yeah, and um, those are good for, I guess, introductions because they're not going to the, you know, the more advanced stuff. Um, a lot of the labs um, have now aged a little bit, but they're really effective ways to get the information. If you're really looking to dive into something and trying to figure it out, Quite often, a lab will be able to do it in the core languages. And there's a couple of comprehensive labs that walk you through. I think I'm trying to think, is it Introduction to J is the one that you did, Henry? Right. Yeah. And then there's um, uh, Roger's idiosyncratic Introduction to J, which is fascinating. Um, <laughs> um, and, then, you know, and then there's J by point and click. So these are all labs. If you were interested in getting into J, they'll get you into it. But they probably don't have the most recent things, and that might be where Nuvox starts to come in. And I also wrote a, a lab similar to J by point and click called J as your first computer language, which I used for the beginning computer class that I taught. If you want to teach your child an array programming language, you could start there. We'll have to get yeah links to all of these um, these labs in the in the show notes for those that are. Or I'm not sure, can you link labs? Or do you have to search them? You actually have to, I think, uh, be in the J environment to run a lab. Um, a couple of my video labs I've actually just put together as video strings on YouTube. And then I, when I go to a video lab, I'm actually accessing YouTube to be able to see the video part of it. But uh, most of the time, you have to be in the environment and run the lab to do that. Um, a lot of the labs can be run both in JHS, which is the web-based environment or JQT, which is the uh, QT-based uh, environment for J. Uh, I think you can run labs. I, I have run labs in the console as well, but I don't think that's often talked about. Um, I don't know. I don't use the console that much. I think in order to run labs in the console, you need to know the, the magic words in the lab to be able to start the verbs in the right spots and know where to look for them. It's not an easy thing to do, but it can be done. All right. So I we're... We've covered a lot of ground, and we're closing in or maybe even just passing the hour mark. But I know that we wanted to, I think, at least briefly mention sort of what the uh, areas that are going to be, at least at this point in time, are being focused on for the next upcoming release, which will be 904. Um, do we briefly want to talk about, talk about that to, to round out the episode, or is there a couple other things that we wanted to get to? Well, I, I can... 
uh, talk about what, what little I know. We, we don't do a whole lot of planning. It seems that there are enough things that come up that are worth doing that, um, that we do them. But uh, we are looking to bring somebody on board to help with pull requests so that we can take user contributions uh, more quickly. And we'd really like to get uh, people contributing as much as they can. It's, but obviously, the sort of people who use J are going to be uh, on the more experienced side of programming. Um, things that I'm looking at are um, I, I've done a, a little bit of probing about operations on very large uh, nouns, and it it turns out that um, when the nouns get bigger than the caches. Uh, it, it changes the way you have to deal with them. Um, and adding, if I want to add A plus B plus C, uh, you know how to do that. If they're small, you add B plus C and then you add A. But if the nouns are big, uh, that's not a good way to do it. You, you really, you need to add part of B plus C and then add part of A and build, uh, keep the result from overflowing the caches. Um, so I, I'm, I'm going to be experimenting with uh, how we can how we can better deal efficiently with individual values that are bigger than the L3 cache on the machine. I think I'm going to find that uh, special methods are going to be needed for that. Um, and also, again, when you're dealing with problems that big, you need to think about multi-processing. Uh, and the quickest way to do that will be uh, try to offload some of the work to GPUs uh, to the extent that we can do that. Uh, we're going to be looking into that and uh, using other threads if we can uh, make multiple cores work. We've uh, did some work on that for uh, a client but um, I think, would, I think a, a new implement, a fresh start on that is called for, and I'll, I'll be looking into doing that. That sounds pretty exciting. And so, and for the pull request, because I, I know, I think we talked about this last time, that uh, it's open source, but currently you and the other developers that are contributing to JSource, um, they operate on sort of a, a private GitHub or some other repo that's mirrored on on uh, GitHub. Is that still the the case, or is, has there been changes um, to how that it works for folks that are looking to contribute? I, th I, th I think I think that's still right. We we have a we have the the J software repo. There's a, a a public repo which pretty much keeps up to date with the. Our, our private repo, so changes that people submit to the uh, to the GitHub repo would be suitable for inclusion. We just have to check them out. And for for folks, you said that you, you know you are looking on coordination of pull requests, or also you know uh, someone to maybe take over maintaining the the dissect project. Uh, what's the best way for folks that are interested in this work to 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 get involved? Is it to, to email you to ping you on some IRC thing or um, email to me is the best way to get in touch with me or, or you can put a message to the forum and I'll see it the programming forum okay we'll, we'll put uh, that information in the show notes so if anyone is listening to this and has 
started their J journey or recently or has been on the J journey for years. And this kind of work sounds interesting. Um, yeah, just check out the show notes and reach out to Henry because, um, yeah, sounds like a lot of exciting things are happening. And 904 is going to be just as exciting. Although, will it be now that we have these invisible modifiers galore? This could be the best release of all time ever. Um. <laughs> do, do you have any plans for extending the language beyond this? The core language? Not to say no. It's not to say I won't do it, but uh, it would require... I mean, we'll add foreign conjunctions from time to time as we find things that need to be sped up. But for the, the core language, I don't know that uh, that anything more is needed. But if, uh, if you come up with anything, let me know. I'll uh, look into it. I, w- I was going to say, you should probably take that with a grain of salt, because if you go back and listen to Henry's previous episode, I think I can quote, and it's not coming back. <laughs> and now it's back. So well, that, you know, well, that might be true. I if I looked into that. I thought it. Yeah, I thought it wasn't coming back. It turned out to be not very hard to reinstate. I I basically said, "Gee, I've, I've got to go fix all this old documentation." And it occurred to me that you know, if I just bring back those old modifiers, I don't have to fix the documentation. And that turned out to be the easier solution. So I did it. So you hear that to all the implementers out there. If you find a description of something you haven't implemented, don't remove the description. Just implement it. <laughs> yeah. That's that's documentation as a motivator. <laughs> yeah. Do- Documentation-driven development, triple D. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. Well, with that, is there any, any last things we want to say? Um uh, before we wrap up this episode, once again, obviously, Henry, thank you so much for, for coming on. It's always a blast having you on and hearing about uh, what's exciting in the J world. And um, I definitely, I can't say by the next time you'll be on because I don't know when that is. But definitely one of my goals in 2022 is to figure out the the superset of things that exist across all the array languages. And I think J is probably right now the language that has the n- most number of things that I don't know about. Um in terms of outfix and all the different digraphs that um, Ken worked on. And I think that's, you know, whenever I do find the time, that's going to be super exciting to be like, holy smokes. Because when, yeah, when Bob described outfix, I was like, oh, yeah, that is super useful. And like, I mean, I'm sure all of the digraphs that exist in J are super useful because it's just, you know, a two character spelling of something that takes, you know, four to 10 or however many characters in APL or BQN. And obviously, you know, based on the fact that I love array languages and the, the terseness of it, every single time I discover one, I'm going to be like, oh, wow, like, I wish I had that. But, you know, it's a balance of how many Unicode symbols are we going to add to APL? Uh, <laughs> um, when you do get around to investigating your Rosetta code, uh, or your Rosetta Stone of the different languages. There's a wiki page waiting for you. Is waiting for me, or does it? It already exists. Or you're saying it? Uh... No, it's waiting to be filled. Yeah, yeah, we would love it. <laughs> or we may end up putting if you put it together. Like honestly, if you do it as a stream or something like that, it's a simple thing. In fact, this is something that Eric had mentioned. They'd like to see in the wiki, and we like to see it as well. I'm sure it'll be put in is links to external sources. So in other words, you just put a link and you could put a link to a specific video that you'd run about this and it could just be with a you know with a, with a brief write-up of what you're going to get. If you're interested in it, click here and you'll get that. And that's something that we're looking to put on the front page of the wiki as well, just to make it really easy for people to get access to 
uh, not just J, but some of the other ideas that go across the array languages. Definitely, same thing for APL Wiki. I mean, APL Wiki has pages about J, about K, about BQN, and if you do a comparative APL versus J video, then it totally belongs there. Yeah, and I've got to mention the APL Wiki is a huge inspiration to us. <laughs> it's 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 one of the things that's sitting out there, way out in front of where we're hoping to get to. But what the APL Wiki has done is really impressive. And if you haven't seen that before, you definitely should go take a look at it. It's it's what we're aiming for, but it already exists. Uh, I do think the the J Wiki has a lot more content than the, than the APL Wiki. But, uh... Yeah, the the JWiki is a bit like an old library that's you know got all these huge you know like it's the Library of Alexandria that nobody knows about, and you can if you can find your way through it and and get to it, there's amazing information in there, but it's not easy to navigate, and that's what we're working on is to try and get that information forward and updated, and that's not a small task, <laughs> but that is what we're working on. So, you know, it'll take some time, but we'll get there, but as I said, um, the APL Wiki is sort of the flashy new, um, I'm trying to think of a real fancy new library that's come into existence. I can't think of it right now, but um, some flashy modern library that, you know, has got all the bells and whistles. That's the, the APL wiki. We're more like, uh, you know, oh, you need to look at uh, the card catalog. <laughs> right. Where you're going. <laughs> it's funny. I'm just looking at the statistics for APL wiki and, and, uh, and the J wiki. And the APL wiki has currently 364 content pages whatever that means. The JWiki only has 189 content pages. But then there's a different measure, which is number of pages, which includes you know, talk pages and redirects and other things. And the APL Wiki has uh, 1,500 of those. The JWiki has 10,000. <laughs> I think the problem is finding the information in the JWiki. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it's like you're walking through a library and somebody goes, oh, you want to go through that trap door over there. And you pop through the trap door and there's a whole different floor that you've never known about. Yeah, there's there's things in there that are... Um, it's Well, one of the things I'll mention is on the on the sidebar, there's a, there's a um, link with a bunch of links on it. Showcase, and we'll put a link because we can put it directly in. If you go to Showcase and then you on the Showcase page, there's actually books, and it lists out a whole series of books that have been done on J, as well as a brief description of what they're about. So if you haven't seen that before and you were looking at books for J, that's a good place to go take a look. It's not uh, exhaustive because this is, a, as most things, it's not always been updated, but there is a lot of information there that you're not going to find other places but then you have to go know where to go look for it, which is the challenge. It really is a challenge. All this talk about Wikipedia page, wikis and p pages. I just watched uh, inside the most recent Netflix Bo Burnham special for the second time last night. And one of his comedy songs in it is about the internet. And like the line, the main line is it is like anything and everything all of the time. Anyways, I'll send you an MP3 clip, Bob, and you can cut it in after the episode. It's just like, the whole thing is just like, doesn't matter what you want. We've got the information and we're going to suck up all your attention a hundred percent of the time. And it's kind of got an evil flair to the song, uh, but just yeah, APL wiki verse. <laughs> and knowing Bo Burnham, it has an it yeah, has an edge. Uh, <laughs> yeah. the, the the point is more information than you could possibly uh, <laughs> consume in your lifetime, plus more to come, and we'll link it all 
and you can just have content paralysis analysis analysis paralysis of which book to read or which video to watch. Um, and I'll you put my usual pitch in here for contract uh, contact at arraycast.com. <laughs> contract contact at arraycast.com. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, because uh, definitely we're available through email and we read the emails and we send them out. Sometimes we get a chance to run it past everybody in our Slack channel and we get great responses. But we're very interested in what people's feedback is and uh, what they would like to see us doing. There have been a couple of suggestions of different contrib- different guests and stuff we're definitely looking at. So it takes a while to line these things up, but uh, don't think that because you've suggested a guest and they haven't been on yet that they're, we're not looking at it. We definitely are. Um, so um, this is just on part of the ongoing thing working with community. But if we never hear from anybody, it's really hard to know what you want. Awesome. Yeah. So as always, yeah, links to everything we mentioned will be in the show notes. And uh, once again, uh, thank you so much, Henry, for coming on. It's always a blast and I always end up learning something. So uh, you're welcome back anytime. Thank you very much. And with that, we'll say happy array programming. Happy array array programming. programming.